Amen. We are starting this celebration, and, and for the church as a whole, we, we look at this week as a special week that uh, we kind of call it the Passion Week of Christ. We know Christ entered into Jerusalem, and we know that there was a, an arrest and a trial and a crucifixion and his resurrection, and there's so much that happened in the last week of Jesus' ministry, and, and that's what we're looking at over the next week, and today I, I, I want to look at uh, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, we know that he knew why he was coming. Maybe the people at that time did not really understand what Jesus was going to face, but he knew that he had to die a death for you and I. And I want to look at that death today and, 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 and Jesus, what he said from the cross and how important it is for you and I to kind of get a glimpse into the heart of Christ and and what his purpose was for coming to this earth. And I pray that it would just change your hearts. I, I know you walked in today and you, and you saw this lifesaver. It's not because you have bad breath, all you have sweet breath. So it's, that's not to say that. But I want to remind you that you play such a special role in the lives of other people. And how many know that God uses us to be agents of reconciliation, to bring man back to God? And God saves your life, not so you can keep it within yourself and say, boy, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm glad Jesus forgave me of my sins. But Jesus wants to use you to impact the lives of other people. You are a life saver. How many you know that? How many you know that somebody came to you and shared the wonderful message of Jesus Christ? You are the ministers. You are the preachers. How can they hear unless someone is sent how can they know unless someone speaks the word of God to them? So I, I just pray that the Lord would give you boldness as, as you think about somebody to pray for and just give them one of these invite cards and say, hey, I would love if you came to church with me on Easter. So just guilt them into it, bribe them, give them one of these mints, whatever it takes. I'm kidding. Um, but begin to pray. Say, God, what, 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 what person, who do you want to lay? Maybe it's just somebody that you know at a restaurant or somebody that... Uh, somebody that you casually know throughout the week and just say, you know what, I've been thinking about you and I've been praying for you and here's a card and I would love for you just to meet me at church next Sunday and, and I would love for you to come to church uh, with me and you can tell them, listen, I go to church and the walls haven't fallen, fallen down yet. So many people feel like, man, if I go to church, the walls are going to fall down the way I've lived my life. Say, hey, it's all right. Come to church with me. If I'm there, the walls are still standing. It'll be okay if you come too. And uh, just believe that God's going to do a great work in the hearts of people that you touch. So you are that lifesaver. You are the person that reaches out to others with the wonderful message of Jesus Christ and you draw them and you show them who Christ is and what he's done in your life. Amen? That's exciting. You're part of something exciting and that's what makes it so wonderful about being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you have the opportunity to be used by God to impact somebody's life for eternity. 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 I mean, that's amazing. And so just begin to pray and ask God. And I believe that when you begin to pray, God begins to soften your heart. And I believe when we begin to pray as a people, God begins to burden our hearts with the things that burden him. And so just begin to pray and say, God, this week, give me the boldness to reach out to those that desperately need to hear about your love and let me be that agent of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Um, what I want to do today is I want to, I just want to look at, uh, we're going to look at this week, just Jesus's death. And we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said right before he died. And then next week for Easter, we're going to look at those things 
uh, that he did after his resurrection, before his ascension into heaven. And there's some amazing things that happen in between uh, these two periods. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Have you ever wondered in your life that if you were to only have minutes to live, what would your last words be? I, I know what my last words would be. My last words would be this, please, please bury me in front of Target so my wife would visit me every day. That's my last request. And uh, so some of you, I don't know what it'd be, maybe it'd be more spiritual, but I did some research here on some famous last words or last words of people. And here's some last words of people. One, one of this was an inscription on a tombstone that said this, I told you I was sick. It was in Ashland, New Hampshire. Here's another last request. Why, yes, a bulletproof vest. James Rogers, uh, Rogers, a murderer on his final request before a firing squad. I thought that was pretty funny. But anyways, another one was this. Shoot, Walter, shoot, shoot like it was the devil. Wilhelm II, king of England, to his hunting partner who missed the deer. I thought I'd get a bigger laugh than that one. That's okay. Um, let me think. Famous last words. Let me think. I wonder if an anvil will drop like an apple, said to be the last words of Sir Isaac Newton. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's kind of silly. But think about it for a minute. What would be the last words? I, I think it's interesting when someone is, is dying, um, it's interesting what they ask for. Uh, very few people, I've, in the times that I've been with people, whether it's been at hospice, maybe for you also, they seem to never ask for their checkbook or for their bowling trophies or for the remote to the TV, which some of you guys hold more than your wife, just saying, just think about it, pray about it. But anyways, they don't ask for these things that they seem to care about. What's interesting is what they usually respond to or what they usually care about is making things right in their life. It usually boils down to relationships. And some of the most incredible words flow from the cross of Christ right before his Death. The Bible records seven sayings of Christ as he hung on the cross before his death. And what I want to look at today and look at next week, I want to look at these important words of Christ, specifically when he was hanging on the cross and then after his resurrection and before his ascension into heaven. And here's my prayer for you today. And, and, I, and I've, I prayed for you this week, every single one of you that have come into this place today, you were prayed for Tuesday night and our prayer meetings. We, we, we pray for you. We pray for the Sunday service. We pray for every person that comes into this place that their heart would be open to the Lord. And my prayer for you for this next two weeks is, is that you will see Christ and who he really is. His, his death and his resurrection are the most important events in the history of mankind. It separates Christianity from every other belief uh, system. And I want you to see that Jesus is more than just some common religious figure who lived a long time ago. I want you to see Jesus as a risen Savior who desires to come into your life today and make a difference for you each and every day. He lives. I know that he lives because he lives within my heart. Christ changed my life. It's not just some boring 
mundane religious thing that I do every day. Jesus came into my life and changed me. That's why we come together. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we love Jesus. That's why we want to get to know more about him because he lives within our hearts for those who step out in faith and ask him to be their savior. So I want to look at at, at the death of Christ and, and some of the things that he said. And I want you to see that the death of Christ was so much more than just a physical death, which it was. And we understand that Jesus died this horrible death of crucifixion. It's a slow death of asphyxiation, which is basically a slow death of suffocation. Often to speed up death, they would spear the person to quicken the death. And um, what made Jesus' death so unique is, is that it was a sacrificial death by his own will. We understand through the scriptures that Jesus was perfect. He was not guilty of any wrongdoing. He willingly took our guilt and our shame upon himself. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, the apostle Paul says, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God the Father made Christ to be treated like sin even though Jesus never sinned himself. He was for our sake that God did this for us. He was our substitute. God's wrath towards our sin was poured out on his son and Jesus' death appeases all the righteous demands of God. And so Jesus' words from the cross give us a deeper understanding to what exactly was going on through Jesus' heart. And and we see this deep connection that he had with God the Father. Jesus' word should give us hope because Everything he experienced, we can relate to, and he's sympathetic to our needs. He is faithful. He is caring. He knows all your pain. So I want to just dig into these things real quick. And, 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 and in the Gospels, the four first books of the, the New Testament, we see these, these sayings of Christ from the cross. And then I believe they have such deep meaning. I want to understand them because I believe this is foundational for his resurrection for Easter that we will celebrate next week. So let's look at these last words of Christ. You've got your notes here. You can follow along in the note and scriptures will be there for you and up on the screens too. Let's look at this first words that he has. The first thing we can see is words of forgiveness. Luke tells us in Luke 23, 34, and it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus' first words from the cross sets the example for every follower of Christ to heed. Notice he didn't look for sympathy. He prayed to the Father for the forgiveness of his enemies, the very ones that were hurling insults at him the very ones who took him to the cross, the very ones who drove the nails into his hands and into his feet and thrusted that, that, that cross that was made out of thorns upon his head. Jesus was not overlooking their sins, but they were blinded to their need for forgiveness. They were blinded. They were ignorant to what Christ was actually doing for them. And I want you to understand something here. The sin of ignorance needs forgiveness as much as the vilest sins we commit. Have you ever had that with your kids and they did something wrong and they're like, well, I didn't know that was wrong. I'm like, really? You didn't know that was wrong? Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
No, I'm just... Uh, we, it, they, they were ignorant. Jesus knew. They, they didn't have this full reality of maybe why they, they just thought, okay, this guy is just maybe just weird. He's off his rocker, claiming to be the son of God, claiming to be God. We're going to hang him on the cross with these other sinners. But Jesus's cry for forgiveness means that no one, absolutely no one, I love this, no one is out of the realm of God's forgiveness. So Christ praying for his murderers should give us hope to never give up praying for those who seem so far from God. Have you ever met someone like that? You just think there is no way that this person is ever going to come to Christ. But the hope that we have here from these very words of Christ is that no one is out of the realm of, of God's forgiveness who humbles themselves and come, comes by faith. So let me say this before we move on. That what they did in ignorance needs to be forgiven. However, how sad it is for us who know the truth and understand what Christ did for us, yet refuse to believe on the lordship of Jesus Christ. That we have the word of God, we understand what he did, and yet we don't come to him and ask for forgiveness. So we see these words of forgiveness for those that didn't deserve it. Yet Jesus offers, as he's suffering on the cross, he offers these words of forgiveness to his enemies. The, the next word we see here is we see these words of grace in Luke 23, 43. Listen to what it says here. And he, and he says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here we see, now we see this, this contrast. You see Jesus offering forgiveness for those that didn't deserve it, he's saying, Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus isn't hurling insults from the cross. He's not saying that every single one of you deserve death and hell. He's offering this forgiveness of grace from the cross. But then in the same reference, you have these two thieves that are next to Jesus on the cross. Now, they deserve to be there. So I, I love this verse because I want you to get the picture here because this verse blows away anything that says that you have to do something in order to find salvation and forgiveness from Jesus Christ. I, I love, get the picture, get the image here. Jesus is hanging between two criminals. Both deserve to be there. They have no hope for restitution. They have no hope for, for making things right or being reconciled. They are being executed for their crimes. Now, the, the crucifixion was held for the worst offenders. And so Rome wanted to make a spectacle of them. And by putting people and hanging them on a tree, hopefully would discourage other people from committing crimes against Rome. So here you have this picture. You've got these two thieves. They're standing, they're, they're hanging next to Christ. They deserve to be there. Everybody's mocking them, ridiculing them. It's a public spectacle. And the only thing, here's what's interesting. The only thing that could save them was grace. That's it. At, at this point, the only thing that could save these criminals at this point was grace. Nothing else could save them. They were nailed to the cross. There's no escaping. There's no way out. And, and, and this was the means by which we are saved, grace, period. The criminals could do nothing to save themselves, and we can do nothing either. So what did this one thief do that was right? 
Well, there was this repentance towards God and he put his faith in the Lord Jesus. Listen to the words that Luke records for us. In Jesus' very own words and this man crying out to him and we see uh, Jesus forgiving him and saying today that you'll be with me in paradise. And so basically what we see here is we see this man crying out to Jesus and Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Listen to what, what the other criminal said. In Luke 23, 40, 42, it says, but the other criminal protested. He said, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So what's the bottom line here with this thief that's hanging on the cross? He believed in Christ. He recognized that he deserved to be on that cross, and he recognized that Jesus was innocent and didn't deserve to be on the cross. Now, here's, here's the great part of this whole story. The thief didn't have any time to come down and to do a bunch of religious stuff. Jesus peered into this man's heart and saw his faith in Christ, and that's why Jesus was able to say to him, listen, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in heaven. And so Jesus is ready and willing to save all who come to him and rescue all that come to him. I I love this because this takes away all the works that we try to do to try to appease ourselves before God. I love this. This man didn't have time to come off the cross and go through a membership class. He didn't have time to come down off the cross and get water baptized. All those things are important and they're part of our faith, but they don't save us. They're they're only fruit of what God has done in our heart. All your Bible reading doesn't save you. You can be baptized a million times And if your heart's not right before God, and if you haven't repented and put your faith in Christ Jesus first, it's by God's grace, through his faith, through your faith that you are saved, not by your works. So I love this because this this image of this thief trusting Christ puts us all in the same playing field. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. When you put your faith in Christ, he forgives you. And you can receive his grace. And you can receive the gift of eternal life. Man, if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what else will. Powerful, powerful story. And then we see also Jesus giving words of care. I like this. In John 19, 26 and 27, he records for us, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, which was John, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. Now, here, here we see Mary, who, who mothered Christ. We see her witnessing everything that is happening to Jesus. She's, she has the prophecies. She understands the purpose of why Jesus had to come to this earth. The, the very boy that she raised as an infant, standing and watching and letting go, allowing the father to accomplish what needed to be done in her son's life. And we see Jesus taking care of her. Most certainly she is a widow by this time uh, with, with no uh, means for income. And so Jesus, you, th- you know, as we read the scripture, we think that Jesus calling her a woman is 
is kind of callous, but it's not callous at all. And maybe the word woman is used here uh, to, to, be, to, to make us look at Mary and her role here very carefully and not, not to place Mary above needing saving. Remember, Jesus is Savior. He is God. And Mary would have to trust the salvation power of Christ also in her life. She is also part of that fallen race. As wonderful as her role was in bringing the Savior into the world, she also needed to bow her heart and find forgiveness in the Son of God. As important as her role was, she still needed saving. And so we see this caring for his mother and making sure that John the the Apostle would take care of her. And then here's probably the hardest part that I see in the whole picture of Jesus hanging on the cross because I think this is the part that we can miss most of all. I think for most of us, we can see Christ hanging on the cross and we see the, the, the torture and the physical pain, but, but so many other people died horrible deaths too. And probably worse deaths, maybe physical deaths, then Jesus died. But what made this death so torturous is this very reason, is this words of abandonment that Jesus cries out. See, here, I want you to see something here in Matthew. It's about three o'clock and, and Jesus cries out and, and he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Here he is hanging on the cross and he, and, and, um, and he cries out to the Lord, this, this heartfelt cry that he's, that he's now all alone. I want you to get a, a picture here. We see Jesus enduring the wrath of the Father at this point. It wasn't just that Jesus was dying a torturous physical death, but there was this separation from the Father. You have to remember, Jesus in this triune relationship of the Trinity has always been with the Father. There's this perfect fellowship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was throughout all time and throughout all eternity. And here Jesus willingly submits himself, follow me here, to to come in the form of man to die a physical death. So we see Jesus being fully God and fully man. So he's experiencing all the pain and all the heartache that you and I experience in our lives. But here's the one thing that Jesus never experienced that he now experiences on the cross. And that's separation from the Father as the Father lays him out as our sacrifice and pours his wrath, which should have been directed towards you and I, it pours it out on his Son. See, this is the thing that Jesus, I think, thought about in the Garden of Gethsemane as, as he began to, to weep and as he began to pray and as he began to sweat drops of blood. I think he knew that there was going to be this separation because his life would become this sin offering for you and I. That's the separation. Just think about it for a the, the, Think about it for a moment, the times that you felt all alone and you felt like nobody cared. Think about it. Now magnify that a trillion times. Jesus was literally all alone. Crying out to the Father, where are you? That, that separation. Eli, Eli, Lima, Sagbakthani, where are you, Lord? 
Where are you? And Jesus enduring the wrath of the Father. Yet what's interesting here is these words are actually words of intimacy. My God, my God. This deep relationship that he had with him. It was deep. It was traumatic. I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, the longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. Now, I'll be honest with some of you. If, if, if someone in the church said that they would never want to see me again and they were mad at me, that, that would hurt. But if my wife, almost 23 years of marriage, said that to me, that would hurt a lot more. Nothing personal against you guys. I love you guys. But because I have this intimate relationship, this love relationship with my wife, if she were to walk out, that would hurt so much deeper. It hurts when there's the loss of a loved one. There's that separation because you have that intimacy. There's that hurt. Can you imagine what Jesus felt? God's entire wrath towards sin, which should have been poured out towards us, was poured out upon his sinless son. And at this point, Jesus was forsaken so that we wouldn't be. He was forsaken so that you and I wouldn't experience the separation from God. I mean, that's what Jesus placed him. And, and he willingly did it as a, as a willing servant for God and submitted to his will and not his own. And so we see this separation, which is probably the hardest part of this whole death that he had to face for you and I, because he knew that without it, we could not find salvation. Without it, we could not be reconciled back to a holy God because our sin separated us from him. And so we see these, the next thing we see is these words of, of pain. John records this for us, where it says, later knowing, in John nineteen twenty eight it says, later knowing that all was completed, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. And what's interesting about this, we see the physical side also of Christ. The, the death he died was a real death. He was not immune to, to pain and suffering, which means he's not immune to our pain and suffering. And when the world, and here's the thing I, I, I want you to see here. When the world leaves us dry and, and relationships have left us empty, uh, when, when the things that used to bring me satisfaction no longer fulfill me, Jesus says this to those who follow him in Matthew 5, 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So Jesus experiencing this physical side, the, the, the death that he died was definitely a physical death. He felt the pain. He felt the nails. He felt the crown of thorns upon his head. He felt, this, you know, the, he, he felt all these things, that he, the whip upon his back before he even went to the cross, his flesh being ripped from his back. He felt all these things and he did it for you and I. And he says, listen, for those of you who hunger and thirst for me, you're going to find rest for your souls. I understand what you're going through. I understand all the pain all the abandonment, all the trials that you go through. I'm a faithful high priest. I can sympathize with you in your time of weakness. And you can find grace and mercy in your time of need because I am faithful, because I experienced everything that you've experienced, yet without sin. That's the faithful high priest that we serve today. And then we see these, these words of of completion. And this is what I love because at the very end of his death on the cross, we see Jesus just 
giving words of, of completion, words of, of, of hope, words of knowing that he followed the will of the Father. And so we see these words of completion. John records it for us in John 19.30. We see, he says, when he had received his drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. So the question is, what is finished? Well, Jesus finished what he came to do. And, and, and that was to bear the penalty of our sins. So Jesus, what he's saying there, when he's saying it is finished, Jesus fulfilled all the prophecy and all that was required by God for sin to be atoned for. No more sacrifices are needed. It was complete. It was done. His obedience was complete. And th- this made me just think for a moment. If you've studied the Old Testament and, and, and all the sacrifices that had to be made for God every year and every week and all the blood sacrifices that had to be made to appease God's holiness. I, I began to think about this, of, 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 of all the sacrifices of the past, all the blood that was spilt from bulls and goats, year after year, the priest reminding themselves that it isn't completed, that it isn't finished. Next year, same time, same bat channel. We've got to come back. We've got to do this thing again. We have to come into the Holy of Holies and do the same thing. On Yom Kippur, year after year after year after year, we have to come back and offer the sacrifice to atone for our sins. And the priest would first have to offer sacrifice for himself, and then he'd offer sacrifice for the people. And you had, you had, you, you had two animals, two rams, one that would be sacrificed, one that would be the, the, the scapegoat that would go off into the wilderness representing the sins of the people that, that God no longer holds against them. But they would have to do this year after year. And in the temple, there was no furniture to sit on, showing the priest that their job was never done. Their sin was always before them. And in one moment, in one death, it was done. It was completed. There is no more need for any more sacrifices there's no more need for any more death or 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 sacrificial system jesus completed it in his perfect perfect death in his perfect life in his sinless body it was completed hebrews brings this out further for us in hebrews 10 11 and 12 it says day after day every priest stands to perform his religious duties again And again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never actually take away sin. What's the Hebrew writer saying here? He's actually saying it can only atone or cover their sin for just a time. It could never completely remove the sin away from them. For a time, it appeased God's wrath towards them. So that scapegoat that would go out into the wilderness for a time, they knew that they were going to have to come again next year to offer up the same sacrifices. Can you imagine in your life if you had to constantly do that all the time and have that guilt remained over you all the time? Be miserable. But yet here we see Jesus' one death, his one righteous act completed it. And so what the Hebrew writer says is says, but when this priest had offered, talking about Christ, For all time, one sacrifice for sin. It says, he sat down, he sat down, he sat down 
at the right hand of God, which is the right hand of authority and glory. So what he's saying, after Jesus went into heaven, it was complete. And so what he did was he sat down, which the priests in the Old Testament could never do because their job was never done. And Jesus sat down and says, it is finished. Now here's the sad part about it. Many of us, we continue to offer up these fruitless sacrifices to the Lord thinking that they're going to appease God. And I call them righteous, unrighteous, righteous acts of penance. We feel like, okay, Lord, I was bad this week, so now I'm going to do a good thing. Um, I'll come to church and I'll, I'll try to make up for all the bad things in our life. That's trying to offer up a sacrifice to the Lord that Jesus already did for you 2,000 years ago. I can remember going on a missions trip one time to different countries, but I remember the vivid image when we were in Guatemala one year, and there's during this time of the year, many people will, will try to reenact the different scenes of Jesus Christ. And I remember seeing these pictures of this one place we were staying at, and it showed during this week before uh, Easter, there's some people that would actually have a cross and that they'd actually carry this cross on their knees for miles to, to the point to when they would get to the church, their knees would be all bloodied up trying to be like Christ and reenact what Jesus did. You know what God says to that? As, as righteous and as holy as they think that act is, in fact, it's just the opposite. It's actually a mockery to God. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to mimic what Christ has already done. Jesus says, it's finished. I already paid the sacrifice. I'm not asking you to go to the cross. I've already paid the penalty for your sin. If you're trying to gain access to God by what you do, by these righteous acts, we've missed it. We've missed Jesus. Remember this. Jesus' death on the cross paid for your past sins, paid for the sins you're going to commit today, and pay for the ones you're going to commit tomorrow, next week, and the week after. They're done. It's finished. And so what he tells us is we come to him by faith and ask Christ to forgive us. And the Bible says Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness. There's no act that you have to do to appease God's righteousness. You fall on Christ and believe that his one work upon the cross was enough and you will be forgiven. That's the hope that we have. And there's so many people that through their futile attempts are trying to appease God through their righteous act. Now, is it good coming to church? Is, are, are some people going to have to suffer for God's glory? Yeah. Are we going to sometimes be mocked and ridiculed for God's glory? but do I do that to gain access to God to, to allow him to love me more? No, that's already been paid for 2,000 years ago. I do that because I've given my life to him and I want to be that obedient servant that he's called me to be. So we see this, this completion. Jesus was confident that he fulfilled everything. And, and it's interesting that Jesus willingly allowed himself to be committed to the hands of sinners. 12 hours, Jesus allowed himself to be handed over to sinful men. And Jesus told his disciples that he would be betrayed and that sinful men would kill him. But what a contrast we see as Jesus 
lets out this last breath that, that, that Jesus knew that, that everything he did was for God's glory. We see this confidence. We see, we see words of completion. And so this last word, we see this last words of confidence, knowing that Jesus did everything that he was called to do. In Luke 23, 46, it says, Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus was confident that he fulfilled everything. And it's interesting that Jesus allowed himself, allowed himself to be handed over to sinful men. And what this contrast we see in Jesus's last breath, that he will never, ever, ever, ever have to suffer again or allow himself to be subject to evil men. Never again. He'll never have, in his first coming, he came, he knew what he had to do. He came to be a sacrifice. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That was the job of his first coming. But his second coming is going to be much different. I want the worship team to come at this time. And I just want to, as they're making their way forward, I just want to read this last scripture to you because I want you to see that Jesus never, never, ever, ever again will have to suffer, allow himself to be subject to evil men. And we're going to see this in the return of Christ. And I want you to listen to these words as John writes them in the book of Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And, and, and just get the picture here of, of what Jesus is coming back. Now, he's not coming back to suffer. He's coming back to rule. And here's what it says in Revelation 19. It says, John says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true with justice he judges and makes war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns and he has the name written on him that no one knows but himself and he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God the armies we're following him, riding on white horses. I'm going to be right there next to him. And then Ruth's going to be right behind me. It's going to be exciting. And they were dressed in fine linen, white and clean, because they were cleansed through the power of Jesus' name. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh. He has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's put your hands together. Listen, that's what he came to do. And he's coming back as a warrior. He's coming back to judge the nations. His sacrifice was complete. It was finished. So here's my question for you today. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship with God? Have you bowed your heart before Christ? Because when he comes back, it's going to be too late because he's going to come and judge sin. He's not going to come back to forgive it. That's already been done 2,000 years ago. So our job today as the church is to make sure we tell people of what Christ has done and what he has saved me from. 
And so maybe you're, maybe you're in a, a complex area of your life and, and you're, in that, you're in that crossroads of your life. And Jesus says, come to me, find forgiveness through me. This is the whole reason why I died. I died so that you could be set free. And some of you here are, are here today and, and, and you're just struggling with your past. You're struggling with your guilt. You're, you're struggling with the past habitual things that are keeping you from really knowing Christ and moving forward in your life with Him. Jesus says, trust me, that sin has been forgiven. You've got to believe that it's been forgiven. You've got to rise up and say, God, I'm not going to let this thing hold me down any longer. Some of you are so defeated in your Christian walk that you're just not living it. God says, take a step forward and believe that I can heal you today. Do you believe it? Do you believe that, that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you? There is no sin. There's no habitual sin that can hold you down any longer because Jesus died to it. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. And He's looking for you to come to Him and find freedom. Some of you, you're walking in depression. You're walking in hopelessness because of this thing that has held you down. Jesus says, enough is enough. Come to me. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I, I, I just, I am so stupid. I've got a P for a brain. I'm not the smartest tack in the box, but I do believe this, that Jesus can heal you completely today. I don't care if you're popping pills. I don't care if it's some habitual thing that you're doing. I don't care what the thing is today. I don't care if it's pornography. I don't care what the thing is today. Jesus' death paid the price for that sin. And he's asking you today to say, will you believe me today to heal you of that? Are you going to trust me today to believe that I can heal you? People... Christ is alive today. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. There is no temptation that is so great that God has not made a way of escape for you to overcome it through the power of Jesus' name. I, I think the church is weak today because we lack faith to really believe that Jesus can set us free today. And I believe the reason why the apostles were so powerful and the early church was so powerful is because they were full of God's spirit and power and actually believed that God could touch and change lives. And I believe that same power is here today. That the Holy Spirit is here today that wants to fill you today. You've got to come to Christ and you've got to fall on Him and believe that God can do it. Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe it this morning? Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's believe that God can do it today. God is a healing God today, and He wants to restore lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand today. Let's sing this unto the Lord, and let's believe that God is going to touch your life and your heart. Some of you are believing for your family to return to Christ believe that God is going to touch your family today. You begin to pray like you've never prayed before. Just get, get, listen. Just get busy with God, right? 
Come on, let's get, let's believe it. We, we sit around, we're expecting God to do things, but we're not praying. We're not believing that he can do it. Stop being armchair Sunday morning quarterbacks. <laughs> that made no sense. Let's stop being spectators and let's believe that God's going to do it today, amen? Let's sing unto the Lord. Let's believe it today. If you need that today, believe for God's healing today in your life today. Let's sing this unto the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord.
Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Before I let you go, I, I just want to just share this one thought with you. As Moses was pressed up against the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was behind him. They had to walk in faith. They, they didn't know what was going to happen, but they had to believe that God was going to part the Red Sea. As, as the children of Israel were, were at the Jordan River as they're ready to enter into the Promised Land, they had to believe that God was going to stop the Jordan River. They actually had to take the step of faith and walk into the river to believe that God was going to stop the river that they could walk through and begin to take the land of Canaan. Some of you, you just have to take that step of faith. It's great that we're in the service. We're pumped up. You know, I'm hopped up on expired orange juice. You know, I mean, this is great. But listen, it matters when you get home today. That's when it really matters when you've got to make that choice to turn away from whatever that thing has held you captive, that's when it really, the rubber meets the road, right? That's where you've got to believe and take that faith that, that you know, that, that this is where it gets hard. This is where you get on your knees in the morning. You begin to pray. You begin to get serious with God and you begin to read His Word and you begin to pray and really believe. That that's, where, that's where it gets serious. So I love that God's presence is here. I love what he's doing in this place right now. But when it really counts is when you get out there and you begin to walk by faith and believe that God's going to work in your heart. That's where you begin to take the steps of faith. Listen, before you go, before I pray, if any of you need prayer today, our prayer partners will be up front. We will pray with you, whatever you're going through today, and just believe that God's going to touch your heart. So feel free to come up after the service and pray. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Jesus is unbelievable and he just loves to bless us with spiritual blessings. So Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We know that he that began a good work is faithful to complete it. And I just pray for every person here today, whatever the struggle is, they would know that Jesus, you are for them and not against them. That Jesus, you want to do great and mighty exploits through their life. And so, Lord, let us rise up and believe by faith that you're going to do great and mighty things in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray for every marriage here today, every individual, every teenager, every single person, God, no matter what they may be struggling with, that they would find power in Jesus' name, that they would actually see it, that they would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, and that they would know that, God, you are good and you're working on my behalf. And so, Lord, let us just get serious with you and believe that you're going to do great and mighty things through us. So I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. I thank you that it's only through Christ and Christ alone that we can do anything. It's only through his powerful name. So thank you for your healing touch here today and for your word. We give you the glory and your glory alone. May it be praised forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Listen, praise team's going to keep playing. If you need prayer, you can come up. We'll love to pray with you today. Go in God's grace. God bless you. Love you. Have a great day.
does not lift our souls to